This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. You're doomed. Welcome once again to Cinema Degenerations. This is not Howling at the Full Moon, but it is kind of a sister show to it. But this is a continuation of the Killer Wheels Appreciation Month. But we are bringing you another full moon flick. So it's kind of a pseudo Howling at the Full Moon show. And joining me once again is my usual co-host and cohort in crime, Dustin Hubbard. How are we doing tonight, Dustin? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? You know, surviving. You know, I think that's the best uh, any of us can be doing right now, surviving. We can't be in this day and age. Right. And, you know, still alive to see another day and talk about another full moon movie. So, you know, really, I I can say I'm doing pretty spiffy. But, uh, yeah, this one, ooh. You know, I was when I was looking through the dregs of uh, (laughs) straight-to-video sleaze and old-timey, you know, Killer killer Wheels movies. You know, I was surprised to find that uh, this one had kind of slipped under the radar. This is during a time when I didn't watch a lot of Full Moon. I, I'm ashamedly admitting that. 1999, I wasn't watching a whole lot of movies at all. I was just working for a living. That was pretty much it. But I got to say, Murder Cycle, for, it didn't disappoint on the Killer Wheels angle. It just disappointed on every <laughs> other angle. It's definitely uh, it's a sight to behold, but before we get too deep into it, let me go ahead and give the quick IMDb uh, synopsis. It's a, it's a little bit of a long one, but this is as follows. A meteor falls to Earth near a secret CIA military hideout and merges with a motorcycle and its rider to create an alien soldier bent on recovering an alien artifact. Military soldiers, with the help of a female doctor that can read minds, try to figure out what is going on and how to stop it before it kills them. They are also hindered by a CIA agent in charge of the base who refuses to divulge the hideous, no, sorry, the hideouts 
secret which could actually help them. And that pretty much gives everything away, but that's okay. We're all about spoilers here. This is almost 22 years after the fact. I've never seen this film. It came out in 1999, directed by Thomas L. Thomas L. Calloway. Now, did you see this when it first came out, when it was first released by Full Moon? I did, yes. I actually uh, rented the VHS tape when it first came out. Okay, so that being said, do you forgive me for making you watch it a second time? <laughs> <laughs> no. I've, I've chosen to rewatch it a few times over the years of my own volition. Um, but, you know, it's definitely not what I would call some of Full Moon's, you know, most powerful cinema. So, but. Yeah, it's, it's got a great, um, you know, it's got a great, the, the lead. I call the motorcycle itself is the lead of this movie. I like the motorcycle. I like the design of it. It looks very mad uh, max style kind of road warrior s a little bit but it's, yes. it's, it's a great look uh I, I love the you know the look of the the motorcycle or the murder cycle but everything else about it man uh we'll, we'll get into it you know i mean the, the opening i mean it's not very clear where this place is this military base and this is a ramshackle most ramshackle military base i have ever seen in any film i think they just had their editing rigs and some old 90s um computers set up to make it look kind of legit but it does not look very legit and <laughs> <laughs> the character that gets me the most is uh the the opening guy what the hell's his name mushima mushima Mushima. Uh, the the opening guy that goes missing yeah, that goes missing. Coletta. Coletta, Coletta, that's it. I, I got the wrong character. <laughs> yeah, they've all got very unique names. So, yeah, Coletta. Coletta, Frazetta, Bashima, Ditko. I mean, <laughs> some of the names are very, very weird. I think I did read somewhere that a lot of the names, some of them were, you know, because... Uh, got Dr. Lee, you got General uh, General Hubert and Kirby. Some of those characters are named after, uh, you know, Marvel Comics and DC Comic character, uh, you know, creators. And there's a lot of comic book character talk. You know, the characters talk about the Fantastic Four and Wolverine and whatnot. So they were, you know, the writers were obviously very heavy into comic books. Yeah. Yeah, Frizzetta keeps talking about, like, being Mr. Fantastic and <laughs> making... <laughs> Four references, so and like, one, yeah, I'm obviously Mr. Fantastic, and it's like, yeah. no, sir, you are not. At one point, Dr. Lee makes some comment about I forget what she says, Supergirl, and something, and he's like, no, no, that's the wrong universe, that's DC. <laughs> <laughs> I did appreciate some of that, I, I appreciated some of the comic book banter. If there had been maybe a little bit more on more of that, I would have maybe given it a higher rating than I'm gonna give it here in the end. You know, the, the opening, you know, you got some early 1990s CGI effects when the meteor falls and it meshes or, or melts, I guess you could say, with this, you know, this uh, this poor guy that just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. They never say who the writer is. You never really find out. He's kind of, he's just inconsequential. He doesn't really, doesn't really matter because once he gets too close to the, the meteorite that falls you know what two minutes into the movie they really don't i will say that they don't waste any time getting to the the heart of the story where this you know meteor falls outside now it's supposed to be a military base but it looks like an old time westworld kind of <laughs> it's supposed to be a military base but it just looks very much like sable ranch so <laughs> yeah like it's very sable ranch there's no like the hiding the fact that it's Sable Ranch. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it it's totally looks like like yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Too many movies from like you know like you know bigger budgeted like Rob Zombie films right down to like you know a billion and one you know David Dakota films that are shot at Sable Ranch. So it's just like I've seen I've seen those locales and buildings so many times. I'm like, yep, seen it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like, and I know it's not a military base, but okay, I'll suspend my disbelief. So, 
But yeah, yeah. I mean, at least they. I will say this: they they don't waste waste any time getting into the action. Now, there's a lot of lulls in this movie that that where it just there's lulls in the action, but it gets right off into it. And a no, next note, if I would have paid attention, I remembered his name. But the next note I had here is Coletta is destined not to live long. You know, and because you just know he's not going to make it. You know, there's like this guy is literally a red shirt. Uh, and without any kind of warning, you get, the, I like the kind of effects they use when they turn the rider on the murder cycle, you know, he becomes one, I guess is the best way to say becomes one with the motorcycle at that point. And it's very like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a series of films called Tetsuo, the Japanese horror films, sci-fi films It's very Tetsuo. Like when it takes over, you know, it's a bunch of cords and wires and cables and it just, okay. it's a mesh of. That's a tall comparison. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just saying that it's, it's not, you know, there's really no comparison in, in quality, but it's like, that was the, I, what I felt like they were trying to aim for, but they went it on a, a PG 13 kind of level. I'll say this. I think that, you know, all things considered, um, and clearly this is post paramount era, you know, filmmaking for full moon so obviously the you know the budget isn't as plentiful as it as it could have been (laughs) or as it should have been perhaps but um you know a lot of the effects in that era were being done by jeffrey farley and uh christopher bergschneider and you know not to fault them because i think they they always did the best and to and do the best with you know whatever resources they have you know so uh, i think it's serviceable it looks cool you know but you can tell that you know they probably didn't have the amount of resources that they should have for it but it it, it does have a unique look it, he looks neat once he kind of transforms i still kind of would like to have known a bit more of who the writer was that got taken over cuz he's just sort of like boom you're <laughs> You're possessed. Yeah, you're you're now motorcycle dude. Yeah, you, there's you never even get a name for him. Why was he even there? I don't even remember. He, he there was no reason. He just kind of showed up on Coletta's, you know, just like uh uh you know breaking into military base area to like ride his bike. Yes. Yeah, I mean they, that's pretty much what we're led to believe. I mean because Coletta goes out to. You know, see what this guy's up to, I and mean, in the meanwhile, that's when the meteor shows up and blasts yeah. the compound. This is the second time I've covered a movie with you where a random bike rider gets assaulted by some kind of alien. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it reminds me of the 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 guy on the bike at the beginning of Bad Channels. <laughs> right, it does a little bit, doesn't it? Oh gosh, man, it's so. But the the one thing I made a note here of too, is the inconsistency of the murder cycles uh, laser blasts, where one blast <laughs> takes out a truck and makes it blow up, but Coletta takes a bla- couple of hits to the chest before it kills him. And so I had some questions about that. I'm like, I don't know how they really you know justify that, but you know, I, I, it, it is what it is. It's, it's not the worst part about this movie. Yeah, but oh gosh! But and what uh, the the actor's name that plays uh, Kirby Charles Wesley? Pro- I mean, gosh, I I hate to do to be this mean. I really do. It part of me hates to be this mean, but he might be one of the worst leading men that I've <laughs> ever seen. He he does not emote well. It just seems so. Uh, everything he does seems so bland. deliberate and just like when it starts off the scene he's sitting all sweaty in his little like shack of an apartment you know putting a gun (laughs) to his head it's like did you just watch like apocalypse now before they like cast you in this is that all you did yeah that moment seemed kind of weird because it's like i guess one of my first thoughts is like why like his house is really hot, apparently, because he's, like, drenched in sweat. 
And I'm like, I guess I would explain why he's just randomly sitting there with no shirt, I guess. I don't know. The whole situation just seemed kind of weird. And yeah, I, sitting there, no shirt, trying to pretend like he's got abs. Something necessary <laughs> that I didn't necessarily ask to see, but okay. Like Nobody ever asked to see that. Nobody in the history of cinema wanted to see Charles Wesley with shirt off, I'm just saying. I, I'll say this about the cast. I don't. I don't think that there's anyone that I would necessarily call out as I think being bad in it. They could be the full moon lover in me, but at the same time, I think everyone's just, you know, I, some people are better than others, but I think yeah. just serviceable to the concept. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, would agree I, with that. Every, but everybody except for who plays Do- Dr. Lee, we'll get to her character in a little bit there. I think there's a reason why this was her only film. See, and I, when I rewatched it, I remember thinking, like, gosh, like, I know I've seen her from somewhere, and I can't place what it was. And I was thinking, like, I feel like maybe she was in one of Davis' movies, and I'm like, I go back and look, and I'm like, nope, I guess I was just remembering her from Murder Cycle, because <laughs> really nothing else uh, that she's ever been in. So, you know, she's like a one-and-done kind of girl, so. Yeah, yeah. Cassandra Ellis was her name, yeah, she and she just is... Uh, okay, not the worst actress I've ever seen. I'm, I will, I will give her that much. But she is the worst uh, scientist slash psychic that I've ever seen committed to film. I think, okay. and I, I know what you mean by these two characters too, with Kirby and Doctor Lee. And I'll, I'll say this: I think that it might be an issue with maybe the script not wholly being there for them either. Because there's just nothing fun for either of those two characters to do. They're just there. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, other characters have neater moments to shine or have, you know, more playful characteristics and personalities like, you know, Frazetta or Bashima or different ones like that, or even hell, Ditko for that matter, you know. But, and they have things to like, you know, they have they can chew the scenery a little bit with their little like character quirks, but these two are just, the characters are just so bland and blah. Like maybe they're good actors, you know, but I don't, yeah, the, I don't think, like you said, the material wasn't there to service their abilities I, very well. I feel, like, I feel like they just weren't written, you know, good parts maybe, but again, I don't know. That could be me just <laughs> blindly defending full moon. So, yeah, like I said, I have seen worse. Not m- much worse, but uh, yeah, it, it's <laughs> yeah, they're just not given a whole lot of uh, material to, uh, to to work with. You know, there's there's not a lot of stuff to chew the scenery up with. Now, the character that I find really bad is uh, uh, Michael Vichetti's character Wood. Oh, you talk about. <laughs> I think they named his character appropriately Wood because he is Wood in as fuck. <laughs> the CIA guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very yeah. He's a very stiff, bland, boring character, and it's funny because when she's trying to read his mind and she's like, he's reciting, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance and different things. I'm thinking like, you know, what kept flashing in my mind was I picture like Christopher Reeve and you know the, the little alien kids being like. Is thinking of a brick wall. <laughs> oh yeah, village of the damned. Yes, and you know, and you keep seeing the cutaway to the brick wall where they're like the bricks keep falling out and the water's splashing through, and it's like, oh, they're chipping away at your mind. <laughs> you know? They just didn't have the budget with this movie to accomplish yeah, that. <laughs> the brick wall in his head, but yeah, he's wood is a very wooden character, and again, I think it's just a. Just a, one of them stiff, boring characters that kind of have to exist in a story like this to, you know, create the setup. And, you know, you just got to hope that you get some people that can maybe do something with such a one-dimensional blase, you know, part. And, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's the material, like you said, the material is just not there to service their abilities. If, if they have any... We'd never know because this it's a very bland, blandly written script. It, it very much plays by the numbers. 
you know, I'm very, very paint by numbers kind of mode. Is this like, uh, it's almost uh, t- TV movie of the week style, if that makes sense to you know. Totally. But uh, yeah, it's a, the, our group, or I, I made a note here too, when they first uh, arrived, was supposed to be the base. Like, this is their base. It looks like a friggin' outhouse, you know? It's like, what a, what a fucking headquarters, you know? I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is where they're supposed to be trying to keep the world's great. You know, we'll find out later on. <clears throat> spoiler, spoiler. That they're keeping the world's greatest secret hidden underneath this place. They didn't really have much in the way of protection there. You know, what they had that little wood-burning stove that uh, Wood starts chucking the, the, the files into and trying to burn up with a pair of matches. Very ramshackle. It's <laughs> very ragtag. Yeah, and, and, the, and the greatest discovery in, of all time is just kind of, like, hidden below, like, a cellar door. Right, right. <laughs> uh, with a padlock or whatever on it with, like, a combination lock. So... And our group, they're supposed to be the best military has to offer, right? It's a ragtag group of the best the military has to offer. You know, it's kind of that 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 predator mode, you know, we're like predator with, you know, Schwarzenegger. Yeah, you know, but these that gets this ragtag group, but they're bad shots. They're the even when the the murder cycle shows up and starts blasting everywhere, they're 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 shooting at it. I mean their bullets don't do anything once they hit him. You know, once they hit the motorcycle, it just kind of sparks off the body, and it doesn't really do any damage. But they're spending rounds like that, like they're just like it's going out of style, and they can't hit anything. These guys must have been like, I'm just saying, they're they might have been stormtroopers in a in a you know another life. <laughs> but the way, like the motorcycle, whenever the motorcycle happens, uh, I was watching this with my wife when we, we both watched it to get, together, and. You know, like every time the murder cycle appears and disappears, or disappears and reappears, it's always in slow motion. Always in slow motion, every single time. And I'm all about slow motion when used appropriately. But it's just like, oh, wait, slow motion murder cycle again. I guess it's the only way. They wanted to get as much time of the movie, you know, uh, as much time as possible with that murder cycle on, on camera. There's almost literally not a single real in-camera timed shot of the murder cycle at all in the entire movie. And that's probably why this movie is probably one of the longest full moon movies ever made. Because it's like 90 solid minutes and change. <laughs> like So then if you'd sped up those shots to normal speed, you'd have probably shaved off about five minutes of it. So... Yeah, probably. I would imagine so. Now, I gotta admit, like, when the motorcycle appears on camera, the stunt driver they got for it, I don't know if it was the same guy all the time, but he's a good driver, and the stunts are done pretty, you know, are set up pretty well. So I gotta give it that much credit. The stunt work is pretty awesome. You know, and they, they know about blocking. They know how to block their shots really well and get, you know, these, a lot of, when the, motorcycle kind of vaults through frame and is always kind of going airborne it's always leave going into and out of frame like it's flying in and out of the air but then they will always do these uh how do you want to say uh dissolve shots where the the motor the motorcycle is driving away and then it just all of a sudden kind of dissolves into nothing as if it was never there so it's (laughs) it's like all right, is this something supernatural or is this something alien from another planet? I mean, we end up knowing that it is, you know, an alien from another planet, but eh, I mean, where does it get its disappearing and reappearing powers from? I just want some of it explained to me. (laughs) Be thankful that, you know, the movie, this was the directorial debut for Tom Calloway and Tom Calloway is, a, a very renowned cinematographer like he's sh- he's shot so many movies well i looked he had done what over over 100, 100 i think it's 120 120 or more yeah i mean and and i mean his uh, most recently i mean he shot like you know tales from the hood three <laughs> like he he's shot so many movies over the years and, you know, so he knows how to, you know, 
shoot a movie and make it make things look good you know so i mean as far back as to like you know weird things like you know he shot amityville dollhouse he's he shot blood dolls you know um so i feel like he might have even shot um some stuff for dakotu back in the day well, i'm looking at a lot of his, his uh yeah he his, actually uh, slave girls from beyond infinity and creepazoids he shot slumber or yeah slumber party massacre 2 but yeah he's done a lot i mean like a lot of sequels even in the 2000s he's done like you know mock 2 cruel intentions 3 return oh return of living dead rave to the grave uh to take that back from him <laughs> classic like dakotu stuff you know like lady avenger and murder weapon like he shot eddie presley for just burr like he's done like a very you know wide variety of stuff like project metal beast night of the scarecrow and you know, it, it's good stuff so he's a very capable cameraman so that probably is why we have you know when you know when that murder cycle is on camera doing its thing you know yeah, that's why that part actually looks as good as it does. He shot this movie too. I mean, he he didn't just direct it, so he shot it also. Fuck, he sh- he shot Demon Wind, you know? Oh, so, really? This guy shot classic, like like films. So. I see that uh, I'm looking here. I even see that he did Deep Blue Sea Part Two. Yeah, yeah. And Feast. He, oh, he did Feast. Wow, really? Wow. Yeah, he shot Doll Graveyard. He even did work on Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. Yep. Yeah, so he, yeah, he is pretty prolific. I mean, I, I had look, taken a quick look at his filmography, and I just, like, skimmed over it, and I saw, like, okay, he's done 122 things. You know, he's you know, a working cinematographer. But thankfully, he thankfully, shot, he only directed eight times. He got Roadhouse 2. <laughs> <laughs> Last call. <laughs> so... Oh, I've never seen it. I, I I I can boast that I've never seen that one. So yeah, I mean he's he like I said he's done a lot for Full Moon too. You know he he shot Dangerous Worry Dolls also. So you know he's been around the block for a while. You know so uh, I I would credit a lot of the the look and sheen to this movie to to him. So. Yeah, that's the one thing this movie does have going for it. I mean, the location, albeit, is a bit weird, you know, but he makes it look good. He makes he makes everything look good. It's just, you know, you, you can't polish a turd when it comes to a script. You know, if you got a bad script, it's going to be a so bad movie. When, you know, like, I can understand maybe using Sable Ranch because it's for productions of this level. It's, it is very cost effective and you do get a lot of you do get a lot of uh, options as far as locations and land, you know, at Sable Ranch. I believe Sable Ranch actually burned down a few years ago. So a lot of the locations in this movie, I believe, don't exist anymore. Oh, that's sad. That's sad to know. But, um, you know, if if you were one of those teams that went in all the time, you know, you knew all the good places to shoot at and, you know, what what would work and what wouldn't. You know, and you could get in on a budget, do it for dirt cheap, you know, and get some production value with some solid locations. And if you have a good cameraman, you know, like a Tom Calloway to make it look good, you can pass off maybe not having a proper military base. And you might be able to kind of deter attention away from mm, fairly shoddy digital effects than haven't aged well <laughs> so oh yeah the late 90s cgi in this is really the only time the cgi to me really works is during the in- initial transformation when the motorcycle rider becomes one with his motorcycle and becomes the murder cycle yeah. it's still you know it still hasn't aged greatly <clears throat> but other than that the cgi effects in this is oh <clears throat> yeah late night late 90s extraordinaire <laughs> case in point of like those those digital effects didn't didn't age well and you know no, no offense to the that team you know it was a lot of the same people that were working for full moon around that time too like dave dave lange and jared cornish jared used to do a lot of the computer computer animated opening credit sequences for a lot of the movies so at Jared had even acted in um, Alien Arsenal for David Dakota. It's, I believe, his only acting credit. But you know, the effects were handled by you know the 
the regular team, you know, that had been doing all these movies around this time. It's just a case of, you know, it just, you know, it's clearly 22 years ago now. <laughs> so oh, yeah. things are just look better today. So, you know, it's no offense to them, but just it's where the technology was at that time. You know, they could only do as good as they could do. Yeah, just didn't age well. So, which is, you know, look, you know, we could be the movies we're making now. We could look back at twenty and twenty-two years and be like, yeah, that didn't work out so well. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You know, it's just like looking at the movies in the late nineties. Maybe didn't work out in so well with CGI, but the movies of the late seventies didn't have CGI. They had to do everything in camera. So you know, every twenty years, you know, if you just look back at twenty years to the seventies and twenty years to the fifties. You can always go, you know, yeah, that was the best they could do. It maybe wasn't great, but it was the best they could do. Yep. Now, the the biggest, I, I think the biggest kind of, you know me, I always do a what the fuck moment, you know, on my show for different parts of the movie. But my what the fuck moment happens about every 10 minutes in this movie. <clears throat> and that's uh, Dr. Lee's psychic abilities. She mm-hmm. always always like suspects that the that you know dr lee always does this she suspects that the the murder cycle is there she literally guesses it two seconds before like so, you know before it enters the frame so like a sense yep. of presence something's here and then the motorcycle like runs through and starts laser blasting everything yeah well this is because it's not you're not psychic you just heard it coming <laughs> so her psychic that's what i know what i made here her psychic abilities are bullshit and she never gives anybody more than a two second warning and once again yeah i'll put yes the murder cycle may be bulletproof but these guys are horrible shots Uh, i i made a note here and i i would just put the the psych between the psychic shit and the horrible shots this team is fucking bonkers You know, and oh gosh, and where do we even go from here? With uh, the, we got to talk about the introduction of uh, of Ditko. But uh, David A. R. White, Lord have mercy, the the creator of Pure Flix. Like, uh, if if you need a laugh, folks, I, 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 I this is the first movie I've actually seen him in. I've only seen him in two movies, and. Uh, but I am very familiar with his work through another podcast that I listen to quite a lot called God Awful Movies. And if you're ever so inclined to listen to that, it's a show that I highly recommend. But uh, they do a lot of his uh, Pure Flicks movies and review and just tear them up. And th- this was my first introduction to the acting prowess that is David A.R. White. And he is uh, he-, he tries to be the poor man Steve Buscemi, but it just doesn't work out for him. I- I don't know if you agree, but I don't think it works for him very much. You know, but all this movie got was a Bushima. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no Bushimi, just a Bushima. Yeah, you know, it's weird because, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm very familiar with David A.R. White. And, you know, I spend a number of years in, you know, the movie rental industry, you know, and stuff. So I'm very familiar with pure flicks and this man's filmography <laughs> and you know, his directing career. So he's, he's very much, you know, you know, you and I talked about this. He, he's a very prolific man and he's been a very successful businessman. He took that, you know, Christian films model and really, uh, you know, brand with it. Yeah. Branded a company that's been very successful for him, you know? So like, as far as that's concerned, you know, he's, you know, good on him. He's, he's been a very, very predominant force in in that corner of the industry and you know every corner of the industry needs a a forefront man you know he's like you know he is the charles band of his company he just makes christian propaganda films <laughs> so but um right <laughs> there's an audience you know there's an audience for it. but and you know like i you and i had been talking about he's he's been acting in movies like this you know for over 30 years like as like as far as christian films go you know so i find it very weird that you know around this time period he was doing a lot of just actor for hire stuff in non-christian films like a lot of tv work and 
And most notably, I think that this movie is kind of like the weird <laughs> pockmark on his resume as far as acting. <laughs> because it's like, it's it's an alien, you know, you know, it's a murder cycle, dude. Like, it's a, it's yeah, a, it, the title says it all, right? <laughs> yeah, like killing people, albeit in a very PG-13-ish family friendly kind of way. But it's like there are people being killed. I did take notice, knowing that he's in it, that there's a, a couple um, JC slides in, you know, in dialogue where they take the Lord's name in vain and stuff. And I'm just now, like, I don't think his character ever does, though, does no, he? No, he never does. But there are other characters who do. So right, that's what I thought. No real potty mouth type talk. I don't believe. I think there was maybe like one son of a bitch or something like that. But. You know, this this movie was produced under the Action Extreme sister label, which was, you know, action oriented fantasy sci fi films that the family could watch. So they were they were designed to be more lighter in tone so that kids could still watch them. So there's not a lot of like R rated content or anything like that, but it just feels weird that the man behind pure flicks acted in a movie where an alien <laughs> takes over <laughs> a fucking motorcyclist and like he turns into the murder cycle and starts like laser beam like driving around killing people and stuff and then you get this weird like computer nerd performance by him i'll give him credit because like he seemed like he was having a lot of fun with the role he's very enthusiastic and very yeah it almost pains me to say that he's probably the best actor in the movie. Yeah, he, I, I hate I hate to admit it even, yeah, but he, he is. He probably is because he's he's the one who feels like he probably create and even though he's a total caricature, like he's a total, you know, cartoon character of oh, a yeah. being, you know, because I don't think people really I mean, people like that do exist, but not to those Extreme. He kind of reminded me of like Rick Moranis's character in Ghostbusters. Totally. So, but it, he he feels like he's the only one who fully like visualized an approach to the character and really ran with it because he does seem like he's he's having fun and he's not a bad actor in the movie. I think he actually is probably one of the the most entertaining parts about it, for better or worse. So, which is yeah, weird, out loud. Yeah. I was going to say, like, when you say it out loud, that, that kind of, it, it almost uh, tastes like sand in the back of your throat, doesn't it? <laughs> just like, I can't believe I just uttered those words. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But the, the whole idea, like, that it centers around, basically the two big things about this movie is the quote-unquote murder cycle, the meteor that changed it up, and which we'll find out, you know, that it's actually a, a sentient creature that kind of, like, used the, the, the motorcycle rider and the bike, fused them together, and made them kind of one sentient being. But he's there to get to the secret that's in that underground bunker. And that's what Wood is trying to keep, of course, he's trying to keep, you know, secret. And, um... So here's the real question, and I already know the answer because the answer is because movie. But <laughs> he's there. He wants to get Peter because that 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 device is called Peter. <laughs> like yeah, prototype electronic wait electron regulator, I think, or something like that. Thing like that, yeah. yeah. And it's like so he's there. For, why doesn't he just blast into the bunker and take it and leave? Like it's right there, because it would be a fifteen-minute movie. It'd be yeah, his movie. He's just got to keep like blipping in and out and like randomly slow motion driving around and like shooting his laser beam at people instead of just I don't know taking the fucking device. <laughs> it's there. It's not like you know I've been you know I've been watching a lot of Resident Alien lately, and there was you know a setup in that where you know Alan Tudyk's character has to get his device. I guess that's maybe a regular alien subplot for these kinds of big fan of that show. I have to admit, big fan of that show. Yeah, great show. And yeah, honestly, it's really hinged on a on a pretty flawlessly brilliant performance by by Tudyk. But it's mm -hmm. like he can't just go and grab his device. It's not like it's like right across Sable Ranch under a fucking cellar door. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, it's like way over on a glacier in the snow 
you know, far away. And, you know, there there's devices set up to make it difficult for him to do it right away. So, show. <laughs> yeah. Literally, he could just drive the motorcycle across the ranch and just blast the door off and be like, mine, and leave. <laughs> right. He doesn't have to go through all this toying with everybody, bumping the team off one you know, he the way he, he told Coletta in the opening scenes, like he didn't need to wait around for a military team and a psychic to show up to cause more trouble. He could have told Coletta, b- busted the door open and took the thing that night and been like beamed off Earth again, <laughs> like before. The well, if, if you listen to the the science, <clears throat> as I call it, sciency science, that's behind all this, they're linked. The murder cycle character and this device are linked so he would have known where it is yeah, so exactly. he could have just like you said he could have easily just went there blasted the doors off with his lasers got it and hightailed it out of there without having to kill anybody but maybe you know uh like i said it was because of movie you know we, we weren't they weren't making a short film they were making a feature so that's why he had the toy with them and boy, did they make a feature, because I repeat, this is one of the longest full moon movies ever made. So, Yeah, I mean, it, when I saw the length of it, I'm like, oh, this is like an hour and 33 minutes. I'm like, this is actual, like, full-length fucking movie. This isn't one of those 65-minute ones. And I, I like a good short film, you know. That's one thing I like about a lot of full moon films they're short they're short watches you can get in get in and get out and enjoy yourself <clears throat> and that maybe sounds a lot dirtier than i <laughs> that i that i intended it to but fuck it i've already said it but you know the 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 the, the, the one part of this that they play is a big big secret is uh dr adamson's character or dr adam's character uh-huh is when it's finally revealed that he is also a covert op guy, that he's a CIA op or whatever, and he's in on it. I, I don't know about you, but the first time you watched it, were you surprised in, in the slightest? Because I sure as hell wasn't. I, truthfully, I don't remember, but I remember. It's like one of those movies I've, I've seen multiple times, but it's not a movie that sticks with me, you know? So each time I watch it, it's kind of like rewatching it for the first time again. But it didn't surprise me because, like, I guess what my more concern is is like, did Wood know he was also an agent all along? Oh, I don't think I don't think that guy that guy was so cocky. He I don't think he had any idea what the hell was going on. He was bluffing most of the time. You know what? One of my favorite character things is you notice how when like Friend Zeta died, it was like this kind of like big like oh you know he. You know, they had to, like, put him out of his misery and shoot him, you know? Yeah, shoot him in the head, right. When Bashima died, like, he gets shot and, like, blows up. And then, you know, like, you see him fly into the air. And then it just cuts and it's like, he's just not there. <laughs> there's no mention. Yeah, of and him. he's just gone. Like, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistency. He ceases to exist. <laughs> like, like, yep, yeah, like, I guess the murder cycle just had his uh, laser blast on incinerate at that point, right? I guess. And, I'm not yeah. sure. Because I I keep like a you know I I I always have that body count tally in my head and it's funny to think that like like six ish people die in this movie but like it doesn't feel like it because they're so it's all like off camera or kind of like suggestive things that happen that you just don't really see anything happening because obviously we're keeping it at a more family friendly level. Well, when they go to shoot, um, I think it's uh, Ushima. When they go to shoot him, when uh, uh, Kirby does, Lee steps in front of him so that, like, when he goes to shoot him in the head and when Dr. Lee steps in the way so you don't see it, you know, so it's all done very PG-13. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, and this is about the point in the movie where Dicko finally gets, you know, introduced to the movie. And he's, I, again, I hate to say it, he, he's kind of uh, one of the few saving graces of this movie, no pun intended. <laughs> he's at least a colorful character. He's the most colorful colorful character in the movie. I love the one line he has where he says, I got three words for you, C-I-A. And I just had to make a note. I'm like, um, those aren't letters, or aren't words, those are letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but... 
Yeah, we oh God, we get more kind of, you know, when the mur- murder cycle finally, you know, when they, I guess you could say break open the uh, the bunker with that little shitty thing that looks like a, <laughs> it looks like an old pager from the 80s that was made up by the prop department, whatever it was that they had, that little, like, prop device. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, the, you know, I mean, you when you figure out like that really in the end that the murder cycle was this there to retrieve the device, you really do realize like, and you just touched base on this a few minutes ago was that he could have easily gotten down there himself. He yep. could have blasted those doors, those shitty like, you know, doors open and just got it and got out and didn't have to go through all the trouble that he went through. And, it, and it's exemplary of the movie itself too. And that like, he waited and those people came. So he's like, Oh man, I got to kill all these people, you know, and protect the secret. Cause now they're all going to know. Yada, yada, yada. Cause if he'd have taken it right away, like there wouldn't have been like none of them would have known, you know, but maybe I guess he had to wait for wood to come because he needed to kill wood. Cause wood had knowledge of Peter's existence, I guess maybe. So maybe that's why he hung out. But when you think about the movie in the bigger picture of things, there's not a lot of like stuff happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just them kind of walking back and forth on Sable Ranch, and there's not a lot of like content of things. No. It's Everything just... is just used to kind of move things forward, but never really like telling you anything. That's a lot of emotion, but not a lot of like big moments i don't know because the whole like the movie as a whole like you've you've explained the plot and there's really not a lot more to explain in my opinion other than once ditko's introduced then you find out you know uh the the other doc the the other doctor dude the duck guy doctor is evil and it's just like okay there's the end and it just is like over (laughs) right like there's just not a lot to happen so I love, though, that the fact that Wood, at the end, blows himself up to take out uh, Murder Cycle, but ends up, like, doing nothing to him. Nothing to him whatsoever. Sacrifices himself for nothing. (laughs) Which which is pretty, like, I don't know. It's a beautiful moment, because it's like, you know, he hits that trigger, blows up, and it's an impressive explosion. I will give you that. For such a low-budget movie, that explosion is very impressive and i'm a sucker for good action even in in a bad low budget movie it doesn't make doesn't matter to me how low budget it is if if the explosion is good i'm there for the fireworks but my gosh it's a beautiful moment when he blows himself up and then the the murder the whole building goes the murder cycle just escapes unscathed without a scratch and just you know just a little bit of smoke and it's like that's great. Uh, just for such a hard ass character to do something like that, and <laughs> and, it, and it meant nothing. Yeah, you know, he gets wasted for on his. Yeah, and it meant that's it. It just meant absolutely nothing. That's the thing. Like when you think of the bigger scope of things, it's like okay, so I guess the murder cycle killed the rider. I guess maybe the alien device killed the rider, and then Coletta, I guess, got killed by him. But we don't see that. Franzetta gets killed by Kirby. <laughs> like, well, it's kind of like a, a, a. It's not like the movie at all, but it's a little bit like the plot of a, a Cabin Fever, you know, where the sickness doesn't really kill anybody. It's always somebody else or somebody, you know, you know what I mean. It's always somebody else at the hands of it. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. The devolving social climate between. <laughs> Yeah, right. Because, yeah, because, like, Frenzetta gets shot by Kirby, you know, unceremoniously. Like, oh, dude, I guess you're dead. Bang. <laughs> and, um, and Woods yeah. kills himself. So, yeah, yeah. Woods himself up. So, I mean, like, one third of the body count of this movie is, like, people not being killed by the murder cycle. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. And when, and when the other dude whose name escapes me, the other CIA agent. Oh, uh, Adams. Adams, when he does get killed, it's like you get that like POV shot of the murder cycle like coming at him or something, and like you don't see anything. Well, again, that's that's PG thirteen for you, you know. Okay, I guess he's dead. <laughs> like we just have to buy it that he's dead now. Yeah. 
So, but, you know, I mean. And then, like, right at the end, I mean, because we're pretty much, we've covered the gist of the movie. They have the little showdown between uh, Kirby's character, the murder cycle, when Lee shows up with the device. And that's when the murder cycle and it's, you know, it's uh, it's rider decides it, it it can talk all of a sudden. Like this whole time, he's like, you know, I am a soldier. I thought you would understand, you know, my purpose and everything. And like, he's like, you know, I can't just abandon my mission. I've been sent to destroy everybody possessing any knowledge and yada yada yada. I am a soldier, and so are you. He's like, but so am I. It's just a lot of. What a chest just, puffing. <laughs> yeah, all that to just get him to like hold Peter in his hand so that he can be shot. Right. And then and then get that sonic wave uh explosion. <laughs> explodes. So Yeah. Uh and then then again, another really good explosion. Mm-hmm. You know, some good pyrotechnics and whatnot, but I notice the moral at the end here. Who shows up to save the day? With our living uh, cast members, Ditko comes riding in with his little motorcycle his little, and sidecar, and they ride off into the sunset with David A. R. White to greener pastures and a whole new life. It's almost like their characters are born again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, sir. I see what you did there. <laughs> At the hands of David A. R. Ditko White. <laughs> oh. Another the, like, uh, movie wraps up with a happy ending and a shiny bow. <laughs> like, oh, but don't forget the little murder cycle's hand. His hand is still trying to rev the <laughs> the the brakes at the end because he's not dead. Well, I think yeah, that's what I put here was like a good explosion, top notch, and sequel with twitch sequel possibly with a twitchy hand, but. Thankfully, I think they uh, realized what a kind of a stinker that they had on their hands here, no pun intended, and they did not do another one. Uh, I enjoy, you know, it, it's, it, we, we spent a lot of time, like, dissing this movie. I have to, you know, admit, you know, we've dissed this movie left and right, but man, it is a fun watch. It's a good beer and popcorn kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But it's just not well done. It's it's just, you know, there's movies that are so bad they're good, but this is just a so bad kind of movie. Yeah. I'm I'm happy we covered it because, hey, it's a full moon movie that I didn't see. And, you know, I... And, I you know what? Truthfully, this is the kind of full moon movies I think that should be covered because they're some of the the lesser known or probably more forgotten ones that a lot of people aren't familiar with or forgot about. So... You know, bring some awareness to some weird, weird titles in, in the library that might not be, you know, being discussed. So, yeah, I mean, because everybody knows Transfers, everybody knows and has seen uh, Subspecies and Puppet Master, but I guarantee you, not everybody knows about Murder Cycle. And, you know, I always say, you know, sometimes we cover some movies here, we watch them so you don't have to, but as <laughs> I have to say, as bad as this movie is, I would still somehow it, within me, I find myself wanting to say I could recommend it just because yeah. it's it's so unbelievably bad and it just needs to be watched. It's, it's one of those movies that has to be seen to be believed. That's, that's the way I look at it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the movie ends off with David A.R. White taking off with, uh, you know... Uh, Kirby and Lee and then driving off into the sunset for greener pastures. And that being said, I think we ought to go ahead and, and rate this sucker. What, what do you, what do you give uh, murder cycle on a scale from one to 10, Dustin? Final thoughts, you know, um, Murder Cycle is, it's an interesting movie because it's one of those movies that's a holdover from the Empire era because it's a, it's a concept that existed for longer than from the point it was made. You know, it was a product from the 80s that kind of lingered and took a long time, took a lifetime to actually get made. And when it did, you know, it obviously ended up being the film directing debut of Tom Calloway and 
I feel like it might not be something that Tom Calloway probably looks back on and is like, yeah, this was a great moment. Maybe it was for him, you know, because I feel like for someone like him who's really an accomplished, you know, DP, I feel like it was one of those moments where, and I, I had a talk with someone about this topic just earlier today where they're like, you know, everyone gets into film with the finality aim of wanting to direct. So, you know, you wait until someone gets to that point where they'll, they'll offer you a directing job, you know? And I feel like that was probably something like that situation, you know, he'd shot some stuff for band, you know, and he was like, you know, got this thing, you know, want to direct it. So, you know, I feel like it was probably a good stepping stone for him professionally. So, and I think that, you know, even though the cast is, or, you know, the, the, the script isn't that great. The cast is, serviceable it's got a it's got a very full moon friendly cast you know like i had said there's a lot of familiar faces that i knew like robert donovan who played the general has been in yep. a ton of full moon movies like stitches and cursed puppet master he's in the <laughs> amazing trancer six <laughs> no he's <laughs> the movie of which we do do not speak <laughs> Hidden Beauties, the awakening one of my favorite surrender cinema movies he's a very accomplished actor he's a great actor and, and he's a great guy he's super friendly uh so it's it was great seeing him in it you know like dane northcutt that played franzetta had been in the original witch house for dakotu and you know William Vogt, who played Basima, had been in the first action extreme film for Dakotu uh, called Alien Arsenal, which has been retitled multiple times over the years. <laughs> but uh, another one I haven't seen. Maybe I'll have to put that one on the list. It's a fun one, you know, and it's funny because both action extreme films worked off the concept of alien technology causing strife to humans. And that's kind of a theme that Alien Arsenal is considered a loose reimagining of Laser Blast, which was then loosely reimagined years later as Deadly Weapon, starring Rodney Eastman and William Sanderson for later Empire. And then it was reimagined again as Alien Arsenal. So, you know, you all that, you know, you've got David A.R. White, which is, again, to me, is just weird that he's in it. Stephen O'Mahony that had played Kawada, he's been in a lot of, you know, Full Moon content, too. He's in Dead and Rotting. Uh, he was in Mega Scorpions, you know. So he's, That's the uh, J.R. Bookwalter one, right? Walter one, yep. yep. So, I mean, you know, the, the cast is really weirdly eclectic for a lot of the side, the side people for, for a Full Moon enthusiast like myself. The movie itself, you know, it's it's kind of whatever. I think it's got a great, it's got it's got a fun score by David Arkenstone. Yeah, uh, I, I will say the score is pretty good, and you know, the action is pretty good too. David Arkenstone was a pretty you know accomplished uh, new age musician from the '90s who had scored a number of things for full moon, like Mandroid and Invisible, Robot Wars. Uh, you know, so he he brought a lot of flair to it with some with some cool instrumental stuff. You know, the movie itself overall, it's an entertaining view, but it's not something I feel like the next time that I end up seeing it, and I will at some point, you know, it'll probably be like watching it again for the first time because <laughs> one of those movies that it's just, you know, it's entertaining. It's a popcorn movie, you know, you can literally yeah. turn your mind off and watch it. You don't have to think. You know, but at the same time, I don't feel like it's memorable or anything significant in the in the library of Full Moon. And, you know, and, you know, it's it's one of two products from a sister label that was toyed with and then shut down because it just people weren't biting enough to make that label continue longer. You know, like something more successful, like a like a Moonbeam or Surrender Cinema or something like that. Right. So, now you said that was only this is only uh, one of two movies they did with that label, right? Yep, yep. This was the last one, and when I grade things for Cinema Degeneration, I tend to I feel like I have to clarify myself with this. <laughs> I tend to grade off of when I think of grading things on a on a ten point scale. I'm thinking in like elementary school math as, you know, five and below with an F. Right, right. 
six is a D, seven is a C, eight is a B, you know, nine and ten is A's. So I tend to grade really high on a lot of things because I feel like there are very few F's as far as, you know, and, and Full Moon has some F. And I think, you know, the, the previous dogs we covered recently, I think I gave like a three or four. I don't remember for sure, but. Um, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, being that I don't really think that this is that significant in the overall pantheon. I'm going to be a bit more harsh. I don't feel like it's a D film, but I'm going to give it a six. Oh, wow. You're coming in much higher than me. <laughs> and keep in mind, like, like I said, because I, I, I mainly... I, I, I agree with you on, on every front. I don't feel like it's an F film. And I don't feel like it's a D film, but I feel like I've graded some other movies that are much better with sevens and eights. And this is an entertaining movie, but it's not something that, you know, it's not a movie in Full Moon's canon that I look back with with like fond memories or, you know, makes me feel kind of warm and cuddly inside. Like, things. yeah, makes you wonder, makes you long for the days when you're like, oh, I wish they would have made another one of these. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, if they did, I'd I'd be all for it because I'd be interested in seeing what they did with it next. Because maybe it would rock. You never know, you know. But it's like, and maybe it wouldn't rock. <laughs> but you know, it's just you know, it's there. It's but it's not something that you know. It wasn't a it wasn't a game changer for me. And it, it's a it's a, a it's an example of you know maybe why something like Action Extreme didn't really continue because in a way, Action Extreme was just sort of a a weird extension of what what had been Moonbeam. You know, they're like more family friendly stuff. You're just adding a little bit more action, maybe like shooting laser beams. So, right, right. And that it's just kind of meh. Yeah, I felt very underwhelmed by it. I, I think it was just the the un, uneven acting. You know, the even the even though the the special effects, you know. You got to take into consideration these were made in 1999. You know, they were as good as the times could be, but they just weren't good enough. There's a whole lot of issues I got, but I agree with you on a lot of levels. I'm I'm coming in to quite a bit lower than you. I'm coming in at a four, uh-huh. which still anything like to, to me, even uh, at a five, you grade, you, as you said, you kind of grade things on like a, uh, a school type level, like junior high level, like, you know, anything, uh, you know, five and under is an F. But I, I always say anything, even at a five, I can still recommend. Now, I can recommend this to a diehard, you know, full moon fan. If you're a diehard full moon fan, yeah, I'd say definitely watch it. If you've never seen it before, w- watch it and ha- have fun with it. You know, it's still a movie, even though I always mostly say anything under a five, I can't recommend. But I would still sort of recommend this as just a visual oddity. You know what I mean? It's not a great film. It's not even a particularly good film, but it's entertaining. And so I'll I'll leave it at that. You know, I give it a four, but it's still, you know, like just for for an eccentric piece of cinema, you got to check it out. And it's about a killer motorcycle. You know, you know, and, and in a movie where David R. White uh, saves the day, that's uh, worth checking out for just the oddity of the that is 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 that notion right there. Yeah, and you know this this came from a period where Full Moon, where there was a lot of was a lot of content happening. There was almost more content coming out of the pipeline at this specific point in time than when they had Paramount money. So. And I think that a lot of what happened was it was just kind of like, you know, they they fell victim to excess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They they almost glutted the market with far too many sub labels to the point where Full Moon itself almost became overshadowed. And there was just too much stuff. And, you know, purists just wanted, you know, we want Full Moon, you know? And we don't need a lot of weird sub-labels. We don't need, you know, Alchemy slash Big City to give us our urban films. You know, we don't need, you know... You know, don't need Moonbeam or any of that. We just need Full Moon. 
yeah, we don't need Edge to give us our weird indie films, and you know, we don't need film monsters to like remake fucking you know Universal films for kids. You know, we just want we just need full moon movies. Exactly, I would agree. But it's well, definitely a unique oddity for you know a weird post Paramount <laughs> late '90s full moon uh, bizarro flick, you know, that somehow got made. So. <laughs> You know, and, and like with all the, the movies we've done this month, we've done Killdozer by the Killer Bulldozer. We got The Hearse, we got The Car, done Christine, Maximum Overdrive. We didn't have anything about a killer motorcycle, so it filled the niche that we needed. There you go. So there, here we go. Well, that being said, folks, <laughs> you've been listening to us to rate and review and completely dissect and somewhat poop on a little bit. Uh, motorcycle from 1999 you know i think we still being a full moon movie you know we're both full moon guys so we still got a little bit of love for it i will probably watch this movie again to be honest i i know i probably said at the beginning of the show it was a one and done but i will watch it again it's good for laughs if anything it's good for laughs and it's a good time and you know but that being said i think we'll call this an end to the evening and i want to thank you dustin it's been a while it's been what good two months since we've recorded so i i miss doing this with you it's good to good to get back in the saddle again so now between all the issues on your end and everything i had going on it just uh, wasn't in the the cards for us to get together again but we're back in action even if it was a rocky rocky road no pun intended <laughs> Wah, wah. I see what you did there. But, uh, you know, it was, you know, it's, it's good. So Yeah, it's good to get back in the saddle again. And we'll be bringing you some more full moon goodness here soon, folks. But once again, you have been listening to Cinema Degeneration's Killer Wheels Appreciation Month, and we have been reviewing Murder Cycle. Once again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for listening. Reporting from Sector 12, 2100 hours, and, uh, 22 minutes. Perimeter has been breached. We have a red security alert. Intruder is riding a uh, motorcycle. Jesus, probably a biker I logged earlier. How the hell did he burn through that fence? Who the hell are you? You are on government property! <laughs> <laughs>